Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking vulnerable videographers, we're talking tubby time, and we're talking lockets located in the plushy wolf butts. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking, did I freak you out with my rape story? Oh my god, no, <laughs> why did you pick that? I left you the mask, come on. Oh, I'm sorry, um, we're talking Peach Fuzz, everybody, the alternate there title for go. the movie we are discussing today, which is Patrick Bryce's Creep, which could also be called Something Isn't Right Here, the movie. Or Gay Panic, the movie. I don't, I, I honest, it's so bizarre to me because there is gay panic in this but I, I honestly think the gay panic is projected onto the audience as opposed to mm -hmm. within these characters but like oh well one of these characters is us because it's a point of it's a point of view horror film trace i mean it's a I mean, well, I guess, right? Like, because I, I want to call it found footage, because that's kind of what it is. But No, like... it absolutely is. I'm being a jackass because I found a interview where uh, Patrick Bryce literally says, oh, this isn't found footage. This is POV horror. And I was oh. like... I'm going to shit on that comment right I, now. Okay, so uh, <laughs> we, we will talk about this because I have some information. Like, when this came out at South by Southwest, I'm sorry, when this premiered at South by Southwest back in like 2014, I found some quotes from Duplass and Bryce that are not mm -hmm. the kindest towards the found footage subgenre. And I think no. we have a lot to discuss there. But um, yeah. I'm, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So before we, we jump into this, everyone, we have a guest on today's episode. So everyone, he is the creator of the horror movie website, I Need You, Jesse. And of course, listeners of our podcast should recognize that quote pretty quickly. Um, he is mm -hmm. also one of the co-hosts of Kill the Dead, a podcast in which a group of friends discuss all things horror. Please welcome Devin Baldwin. Hello, everybody. Hello, Devin. <laughs> Welcome to Creep. Thank you. Oh, this God. is a very easy movie to watch and yes. not uncreepy at all. So, yeah, let's discuss. <laughs> well, so, I mean, you, you picked this one. You, you wanted to I come know. on to this episode. Why is that? <sighs> okay, so here's the thing. We were <laughs> <laughs> it begins with a heavy sigh. We were sort of discussing this before we recorded. Mm -hmm. uh, Trace and I, I remember the sequel, two things from the sequel, Mark Dupas's penis mm -hmm. and a mm -hmm. purple hair woman. And like, Joe, I actually <laughs> thought there was more Mark Duplass penis in the first one. So yes. when this movie was like on my radar, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go for penis. And right. sadly, it wasn't there. <laughs> ah. Attracted to the dick. Yes, always. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> no i mean you are right and it's so funny because i and i I, kn I knew it wasn't in this movie because i just i remember watching creep 2 and being like oh shit like we're going full frontal here um mm -hmm. it's very equal opportunity with the nudity we don't get that in this film but as joe mentioned earlier there there's some really I, I, I mean again i don't even know if i want to call it gay panic but we'll talk about it but it's just like it is just very unsettling like commentary on masculinity and male mm -hmm. friendships and yep. 
I, all of this is here and it, 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 in one tight 77 minute package. Indeed. Yeah. And it's funny because I knew that this went to Netflix, but I also kind of forgot about it. So thinking about this film going to theaters, like I can't imagine what this experience would have been like with a crowd, because in some ways I feel like it's a perfect fit to watch at home and think, oh, okay, I'm watching these people watch themselves on video. Like there's something very meta about not just fan footage, but this film specifically in the way that it kind of turns the lens back on us. Yeah, yeah. I, I I wasn't at this South by Southwest. This was just slightly before my time entering the horror journalism world. But I imagine playing with a crowd, it's probably a lot of like nervous laughter that eventually mm-hmm. becomes like nervous. <laughs> Still s- nervous laughter. Sigh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sighs of discontent, sighs of unease, like a lot of, ooh, like, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't go in the house. This is a very intimate film. And I, I I never thought about that, like how this would play out in theaters. Like this is the perfect movie that's designed to watch in the comfort of your own home because it is all about tension and being uncomfortable. And I, I don't know if I personally would have appreciated the audience's um, expression yeah. of being discomfort in the, in the theater because I would automatically think, okay, th- this is homophobic. <laughs> the way they're reacting to this film. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that, but you are right, right? Because, I mean, well, and th- that's what I was thinking when I was watching this. Is And, I mean, we, we can talk about it more as we get into the plot, but it's, yeah, one of those things where I was watching this and I was like, oh, I could see, like, okay, so... I was in a theater yesterday. <laughs> I have a point, I promise. I was in a theater yesterday watching Eternals. And there were teenagers in the row behind me and two, I think it was a group that they had just like, like got two rows together. Mm-hmm. Would not shut up during the fucking movie. And then when a certain cameo happens in the mid credit scene, they all lost it. It was clear that they only came to see this movie because of this cameo. And yeah. It really ruined the entire experience for me. But, like, oh. to the point where, though, like, they laughed during the sex scene. They laughed mm-hmm. during, like, a really emotional moment. And so I can only imagine that transferring to a film like this with men being very intimate, not sexual, but intimate with each other, mm-hmm. how that would have been in a regular crowd of audiences. Yeah, I mean, this film is particular for that reason, right? And I'm always perplexed whenever I look up reviews. I mean, I've seen this movie twice. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know what to expect. So I looked up a bunch of reviews before the first time I watched it. And after watching it, I was very surprised to realize that no one had talked about the fact that this movie is basically founded on homoerotic undertones and like the discomfort about being a straight man and feeling threatened by a maybe queer man. Because I think you could read this as Mark Duplass is just a creepy dude. But I think Mm. as a queer person, I'm naturally inclined to say, oh, there's like a lot of queerness here. And the fact that people don't seem to pick up on that makes me it almost makes me weirded out because I'm just like, how are you not seeing this? Like this movie is so queer and no one talks about it. And this is where our three gay asses come in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Shining the big gay light on it. Okay. You know what? That's a good segue. Cause let's talk about how this film got made. Because I mean, I I don't know if either one of y'all are, well, I know Joe probably is like super familiar with Mark Duplass or Patrick Bryce, probably more so Duplass than Bryce because he's had Mm -hmm. his toes in the mumblecore world a lot. And 
are y'all do y'all consider yourselves fans of Mumblecore? I am a fan of some things that Mumblecore has put out there. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't. It feels very douchey to me. The entire <laughs> genre as a whole. Fair, fair. So I, I, I don't want to call myself a fan of it, but I am a fan of some of its output. Yeah, I would feel the same way. I'm, I'm a fan of the ones that are a little bit more easy to digest like they're they're made for the masses so i do like a lot of duplass's work like Mm -hmm. both brothers uh so if it's airing on hbo i'm probably a fan of it but if we're talking about straightforward mumblecore then i'm like oh maybe not yeah it's kind of interesting i think the first time i ever came across duplass there was a movie called hump day in around 2008 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that's a movie where it's yeah two straight best friends decide that they're just going to have sex and film it. And it is right. literally about the lead up to that. Spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure they don't have sex. It was a real letdown. But the movie itself <laughs> <laughs> The movie itself is good. But yeah, I mean like I like um I think I'm with you, Joe, and I hate even saying I like the ones that are more accessible. Like I like your sister's sister, which is also Duplass, but I think it's like right. um Rosemary DeWitt and I wanna say Emily Blunt. Mm, yes, I think so. There's something like drinking buddies, you know, with again Duplass and Olivia Wilde and Anna Kendrick that, um, I mean, it's marketed as a comedy, but then, like, when you get into it, it's, like, this really fucking depressing movie of people, of kind of assholes just talking to each other. <laughs> so that's where mm-hmm. Devin's side of it comes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a certain level of pretentiousness, and I think this movie is actually a really good showcase both for mm-hmm. and against Duplass. Like, if you don't like what he's doing in this, you probably won't like a lot of his other projects. But if you find him unnerving and also inherently relatable in an everyman kind of way, that is actually very much his shtick. Ooh, okay. Uh, I love him in this movie, but I never for once find him relatable in this movie. Really? Yeah. Every time he plays jokes, I'm just like, oh, that's you being an asshole to a person that you are trying to either intimidate or that you're trying to win over. Like, it's so juvenile and stupid. And yet I find it like, oh, yeah, I used to do this with my buddies when I was a teenager, like acting like a stupid shit. Okay, I think we're all going to learn about our social skills in this episode because I think how, <laughs> I, I, I think I think how how, how uh, we we handle our social skills and what they are will will determine how we feel about Mark Duplass's character in this mm-hmm. movie. <laughs> and I say that as someone who is like you know been working from home for a year and a half, and I'm pretty sure my social skills from two years ago have like gone out the window. So maybe that's just me. <laughs> same oh yeah no Devin, (laughs) tell me if you relate to this i feel like sometimes the only person i have a conversation with is my husband and then also trace it's like if i didn't podcast 50 percent of my conversation would go out the window yeah like it's either myself my partner or like postmates those are the only people i've constant kind of interactions (laughs) with love um, that for you but yeah, so going back to the Mumblecore, I mean, th- that is kind of how this movie started. This movie did not start as a horror film or a psychological thriller or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Um, Duplass said that the film story was inspired by a, by the character-driven dramas that are at their heart two-handers. And two-handers meaning property, a film or a movie or a play that is has just two main characters. Films like My mm-hmm. Dinner with Andre, Misery, and he said Fatal Attraction. I'm kind of like, I don't really... Uh, that's not quite right, uh, no. I don't really call that a film. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but but films like that, coupled with the myriad of strange Craigslist experiences he'd had over the years. And of course, this is 2014, so I mean, I guess the apps were in existence. But anyway, so they began working on Creep under the title Peach Fuzz. Um, that was going to be the original name of the film, of course, named after the wolf mask owned by Duplass's character. They wound up not calling it that, obviously so, because they didn't want viewers to spend the first half hour trying to figure out why the movie is called Peach Fuzz and thus not pay attention to what was actually happening in the film. Fair. They they built the movie from a series of conversations they have with one another and decided to refine Creep while they were filming, which enabled them to film and screen portions of the film to see what would or would not work on camera. So as a result, the film has multiple alternate end scenarios, and Duplass has even gone on record saying that there were 10 to 12 permutations of each scene in the film, which for a 77-minute film, it's like, holy shit, like mm-hmm. imagine all the footage oh. they must have. Yeah, but what's interesting is you could also imagine them doing like this entire movie in a weekend and then cherry picking the things that work and then going back the next weekend and just reshooting a bunch of it. Like that's the benefit of having on-hand locations and just two actors and like really one of them is also doing a lot of the shooting. So there's a, a flexibility and an improvisation that can really work in the favor of films like this. So for creating the character of Joseph, again, Duplass's character, um, they said they were very interested in, in the psychological profile of this very, very strange person. And so, again, I don't think the initial idea was to have him be a murderer. He was just meant to be a socially awkward human being. Mm-hmm. So I can see, Joe, where you're saying, oh, like, I find him relatable because it's, I mean, again, I'm trying to remember what I thought the first time I saw this. But it's it's an interesting phenomenon where it's like, well, you walk into this movie, you know it's a horror movie, so you're tipped off right away. I wonder if this wasn't presented as a horror film, if it would play differently. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Can you imagine going into this movie cold? No. (laughs) (laughs) Interestingly enough, I do think you would do what they're worried about had it been called Peach Fuzz. I think you would spend the first 30 minutes being like, where is this going? What is happening? The, I mean, that's the thing. You know, they're saying, oh, like they're really interested in how you meet people and don't quite understand what's up. But then you start to get signs. And so for Joseph, it was intense eye contact, a lack of personal space, oversharing, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit too much love here and there. And again, it's things that on, when you say it, it's, oh, maybe it's not really that weird. But when you watch it presented in this film, it's just deeply unsettling and uncomfortable. Yeah. But mm-hmm. You are right, Joe, because you've, you've kind of said something about, like, oh, like, you, about Aaron, Patrick Bryce's character, Aaron. But yeah, their mindset was, oh, the the thesis initially for the film was going to be, who is the creep in this scenario? Is it Joseph or is it actually Aaron? Hmm. So going back though to based on these uh, these weird Craigslist experiences, I mean, like, I, I think it's such a mind, a, a, a minefield. No, not a minefield. Um a data mine? No. Um, no. <laughs> what, what, what phrase am I looking for? <laughs> you are looking like, for a minefield, yeah, because it's like you're you're basically trying to find the good ones and make your way through, but also you're just as likely to step on something that's going to explode in your face. Right, but it's like, okay, it, it, it's rich, rife with potential. That's what I'm talking about. Rife with potential for horror, right? Because I think, I mean, how, mm. how, how many times have we talked, Joe, about, oh, like, with something like Grindr, we're going to be like, hey, this person is 200 feet away from you. What, like, I mean, obviously it's a hookup app, so it's for there for hookups, but it also is terrifying because at the end of the day, the anonymity is there and you don't really know these people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the thing I really picked up on this time around. Like, 
even in the opening moments of the film, when Aaron is driving, he goes, oh, what could I be getting into? And it's funny to me that his initial impression is, oh, well, it could be like an old lady who wants to like (laughs) sex me or something. And I was like, dude, that is not the worst thing you could be driving into. (laughs) Even the one that you do drive into isn't as bad as it could have possibly been. (sighs) Yeah. There's something about Aaron's naivety that is really shocking to me because I know this mm-hmm. movie is brought from 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people still were aware of the dangers of Craigslist and yeah. meeting up with people, at, you know, anonymously. So I was just, I was sort of shocked that he, he had this sort of uh, like happy go lucky disposition and meeting up with Joseph, you know, like, what's the worst that can happen? Well, you can get an ax through your f- fucking head. That's what can happen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Well, and and Trace, to kind of bring it back to what you were suggesting, like, I think the modern day version, because of course, we don't really do a lot of Craigslist. I don't think eBay's everything that it once was back Mm -hmm. in the day. And even that it's like, you're just putting in your information and getting things mailed to you. But I think the modern day comparison is dating apps and specifically for gay men or queer men like things like hookup apps can be incredibly dangerous and you know i i cued the two of you that this could be an interesting opportunity to discuss our own experiences or experiences that we've heard from friends but there was a story that happened when i lived back in ottawa about a guy who had a date the guy came over uh there was a joyride-esque gay panic moment and this gay dude got killed and it was Mm. like a hundred percent just because he happened to invite the wrong person who was on the app looking to murder someone because he hated queer people wow and and I, I'm surprised, and maybe there has been a film made about that, or at least a short, because I've definitely seen some queer horror shorts that delve with oh, that. Oh, yeah, I think, so many like, shorts. So many shorts. But, I mean, again, it's one of those things where it's like, well, I wonder if a studio would ever pay for this concept, because it's, like, too yeah. niche, because <laughs> it's queer horror. <laughs> well, and that's really fucking dark. Like, you're you're not thrilling audiences with that. You're basically saying, oh, here's true crime. It's just sad yeah. and really upsetting. Devin, have you ever had a weird or shady app experience with, I don't know, Grinder, Scruff, uh, Jack? Like, <laughs> so I've never been on the apps, actually. Um, but back when I was single, like, this is when we had websites, like, gay.com. Like, oh, my God, oh yes. yes, I remember gay.com. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm that old. But um, we were, I, I hooked up, I met up with this guy, and... His picture, when we met up, of course, his picture didn't match what oh my God, he actually looked yeah. like. He was super gothic, which shocked yeah. the hell out of me. And I think he was super nervous, so he got really, really drunk on a date. Oh, no. Really, really fast. <laughs> and, I mean, I can, I can drink, but this was a lot even for me. So I drove him home, and he was by himself, and he, I, I like, ushered him into his bedroom, like, to have him go to sleep. But he kept, um, like, just mumbling my name, which was weird. But he was really drunk, so obviously nothing was going to happen. And I was I was just going to leave, but I was really concerned that if he was going to choke in his own vomit right. or something like that, if I were responsible, so I hung out as long as I could. But I don't know whatever happened to him. So that was like... Oh, God. <laughs> well, if you're listening, time. sir, I hope you're okay. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I don't have a ton of, like... 
I mean, a ton. I don't really have many creepy like stories. I I think I've said one before where I, when I first got on the apps and I made my username T just for my first letter, and I had someone that was basically like like really trying to get me to come over, and he kept saying like, "Oh, you're into T," and I was like, oh, "That's my name." Uh, no. Yeah, and like, but it was very, and I was like, what are you talking about? He wouldn't tell me what he was talking about, which means then he, once he realized I didn't know what he was talking about, like, he, again, didn't tell me what it was and just kept trying to get me to come over. Little did I know it was, yeah, so T is code for meth because crystal meth (laughs) is Christina, which is Tina, which is T. My God. Didn't know that, but. (laughs) Now you know, kids. This is something, my my actual creepy story, which honestly, I, I didn't even really think about it until Joe pinged me this today and I was like, in my brain like oh my what is a creepy like app story and so there is and it's recent so there is someone in my apartment complex that has messaged me on the apps and i'm Mm -hmm. they've said they speak four languages and english is not the first one so i was kind of like okay because you're not speaking you're not sending messages that are very uh, coherent or clear coherent well they messaged me they, they had no picture and whenever they did send me a picture it was a disappearing photo and even if it was with their face and it was honestly it was a guy that i was like there's no way you'd be interested in me because he was really hot <laughs> <Aww>. <laughs> and no but i mean like model hot and um okay. But, okay so here's the thing so he keeps messaging me and i was like well um what are you into and he's like I want friend. And I was kind of like, okay, like I I get it. Broken English is kind of weird. And then I was like, okay, well, do you want to like hang out? And then he was like, I want to cut your hair. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Getting weirder, getting weirder. At the time, I didn't know he lived in the complex, but he was in the, I knew he was in the vicinity because I could see he was like within a thousand feet. Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I live near the dog park. And I was like, which dog park? And he was like the one in your apartment complex because my complex has a fenced in dog park. I, oh, wow. I'm sorry, I just got shivers. Like I'm, Me too. I'm imagining this is more innocuous than it sounds, but just the idea that it's like the dog park near your yes. house. No. <laughs> and so he's like, Oh yeah, um, you should really come over so I can give you a haircut. And I was like, have you because se- again I walk I have two dogs and my husband and I walk them and I was like have you seen me walk my dogs and he goes mm-hmm. yeah I see you a lot and I was like okay this is weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> like in some ways it could be hot but in yeah. other situations you're like no this is fucking weird now sorry dude well and it's I have I, I have yet to meet this person um they will still message me randomly and just be like hi friend I, mm. I and, but it's one of those things where it's like he's never he hasn't done anything or said anything to be right. like threatening but it's still and again because i know they don't speak english as their first language i'm like okay well they're probably not communicating effectively but at the same time i'm like watching this fucking movie today Mm -hmm. (laughs) i was like oh my god like i want to give him the benefit of the doubt and be nice and be like yeah sure like we can hang out but like he won't come over to our apartment he he won't come out to meet us and so it's just one of the he says he's really shy and i'm like okay but like what are you looking for then i don't know (laughs) That is so weird. And it's judgment on my part because I'm like, dude, you're so fucking hot. Like, why are you the shy one in this scenario? But it's like, but again, I don't know if the picture's real. It may be a fake picture. There are so many red flags to this story. I'm going to request that you don't do anything (laughs) because I really don't want to have to find a new person to podcast with when your body turns up headless. It it was so funny because when he told me that, you know, he see me walk the dogs, I unfortunately was home alone that night and I had to go walk the dogs. No. (laughs) Oh, no. And so the whole time. Because I, I, I basically just walk them around this fenced-in dog park, and I, you know, whatever. But again, I'm like, well, I know he has sight of this dog park from his window. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my so gosh. It's just, it's one of those things, I, again, I've kind of blocked out of my mind until today to recall for this lovely episode, but... I, oh, you're welcome. <laughs> but it's one of those things where I'm like, honestly, he's probably harmless. He probably is just really shy, but... I don't know. And so watching this, watching Creep, to bring it back to Creep, it's one mm-hmm. of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, like, some of this stuff is really weird and uncomfortable, but he doesn't seem like he's dangerous at first. So I do want right. to give him the benefit of the doubt and not treat someone who is socially awkward and probably has maybe experienced a lot of bullying in their lives. I want to be a helping hand for them, you know? Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why this film is so effective, speaking personally for me, mm-hmm. because I think it praise on both your sense of innate goodness like you want to believe the best in people because i wouldn't want someone to meet me and be like oh well that person's a creep i don't know (laughs) what they're gonna do if i get too close to them like that's shitty right we want to say oh no people are inherently good and every once in a while there's some bad fucking people but then this movie plays on that Mm -hmm. to such an extent that it's like well but you also have to be mindful of who you're letting into your life and the reality is is that technology and anonymity facilitates ways for people like joseph to get in and once they're in how do you get rid of them Mm -hmm. i don't know don't don't do whiskey shots with them late at night that's for sure oh my god right (laughs) his keys are already gone i know i know but it's like just go too late honestly i I will before we go because i want to talk about the found footage aspect of this film but like i honestly forgot that this took place in a i mean before you know he escapes in a day i for some Mm -hmm. reason thought this was like a multi-day thing (laughs) yeah no just the back half of the film yeah, which, yeah, goes forward. Um, but yeah, anyway, so going back into how this film became a horror film from this, you know, kind of intimate character study. So there was an initial shoot. The initial shoot was an extended period where they they were finding the film and the horror aspect was coming. But they almost resisted it because, again, it doesn't seem like Bryce at the time and Duplass really cared much about the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, they were comfortable in the mumblecore relationship movies. But as they started showing pieces of it to audiences, the audience audience was like and i'm assuming the audience is like their friends and maybe yeah, like absolutely but but they're like no 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 you you're dipping into horror you need to make this a horror movie enter jason blum which i always forget about yeah like, oh, right <laughs> this is a blumhouse film what <laughs> so blum basically helped them craft this hybrid of again what begins as a really sensitive relationship movie and then moving in an in-depth character study about these two strange people and then seeing how terrifying it could go um bryce said you know that's one of the reasons having jason blum involved was so amazing because they fell into the genre unintentionally they went in making a found footage movie which he does say found footage in this particular quote but he had only seen the blair witch project so he hadn't really seen any found footage this was just something he was like i mean i don't think when they were making this he had blair witch on the mind it was just one of those things where he was like oh it's just it's the same concept as blair witch or same style right duplass though goes on to say they created the suspense again postscript and his quote exactly is we don't love found footage movies per se but we love the form we started talking about movies in the form. It facilitated our ability to run uh, to run and gun and also reshoot when we needed to because the major goal of this was not to overthink it. Get in there, shoot, and let the movie find itself, which is particular of to Mumblecore. Right. So Blum sends Duplass, and this is what he says, every quote-unquote piece of shit found footage movie you can imagine. 
to give them inspiration as to how how to cut the film together. And wow, they asked Blum, like, okay, but why do you want us to do this? And Blum, and you know, we've kind of shit on Jason Blum before in this podcast, but I think this is actually a really just a few times. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is a really good quote from Blum. He says, "You got the performances right." These movies, meaning found footage, never get the performances right, and that's the key. So he said, let me punch up the horror. I'll use my team and help with that stuff. That's easy. Y'all just put this together and, like, with what you already have. Jason Blum's like, let me put it through the Blumhouse machine, and (laughs) I will push this button and crank this lever, and we will have a marketable film at the end of it. But this is the quote that gets me, and this is Duplass again. He says... Our belief was that the found footage form isn't inherently bad, but how, how you use that form is bad. Like, how, pe- sorry, how people in the past have used that form is bad. And I think how people are using the found footage form is getting really repetitive and boring as shit. So we were trying to lighten it up a bit with our weird tone. And, Hmm. Okay, so y'all are familiar with like when people hey when a when a review comes out for a horror movie and it's clearly written by someone who doesn't like horror and you know right horror Twitter gets up at arms they're like only people that like horror should like review horror movies blah 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 blah. A I don't agree with that. I think that anyone should be able to review whatever they want because you know I'll review a western and be like oh god this is so boring (laughs) but I hate westerns. It's kind of similar here in the sense that these two men don't seem to appreciate the genre, be it horror or the found footage subgenre, and then they wound up making a movie that I think is a top-tier example of found footage subgenre. So it rubs me the wrong way to hear them talk about it, but I don't I think it actually like their lack of respect for the genre helped them make a movie that was fresh and innovative. <sighs> That's a silver lining way of looking at it, Trace, which is mm-hmm. Admirable. <laughs> I I mean, I'm I'm no found footage expert. It's not one of my favorite subgenres, but I would be very curious to hear from people who do appreciate it more where the genre was around this period. Because I do wonder if maybe what they were seeing or what Blum sent them was a little derivative you know like we we've had offline conversations about there is a fair amount of low budget schlock tripping Mm -hmm. around netflix and amazon prime and you know what i i think people have to cut their teeth somewhere sometimes people just want to make a movie and they've got a hundred bucks and they've got a camcorder or a phone and that can be really admirable so i I don't know. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think part of what they ended up doing was creating something unexpected. And I guess I just wish that they would have had a bit more respect for other people who were trying to do their own thing. I agree. I'm not a fan of creators who go out of their, their way to sort of shit on what makes other people happy. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I know that, especially like on my website or our, or our podcast, I'll make digs, but <laughs> it's just, it's all in fun. I'm not coming from the position that I think that, you know, my, uh, my, my platform or whatever I have is more elevated or more, more evolved than anyone else's. So there's a really shitty take for Mark Plus to do, but he gave us an effect of horror found footage, found footage film. I think, too, because I, I, that's maybe where that douchiness you mentioned earlier, Devin, comes in, because I think maybe this wasn't the intent, but I think the way it comes off is, oh, yeah, this subgenre of horror is, like, filled with a bunch of shit. We're going to do a good one. And mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is – and while, while there is a lot of found footage shit, you are right, Joe, there's a lot of, like, bottom-of-the-barrel stuff, and – I am of the mind that with found footage, um, people think it's easy to make, which is why we get so many bad ones. But when right, it is done right. well, 
it is it can be done wonderfully absolutely the quote just comes across like oh yeah like no one's ever really done this great except maybe Blair Witch but I mean even like Bryce like I mean he didn't really have any experience in horror and like this was his debut feature he did a movie called The Overnight after this which is a really good like sex comedy with Adam Scott and Jason Schwartzman he of course went on to do Creep 2 but then his last two films that he's done Mm-hmm. One is a horror comedy called Corporate Animals with Demi Moore, which I have not seen. I heard it wasn't very good, but I was very curious about it. Right. And then he just recently did the Netflix movie, There's Someone Inside Your House, which is kind of a sellout piece of garbage. Yeah, I wouldn't call it garbage. Sorry, that was a bit strong. It's got a bunch of really great elements, and it also woofs the ending. I 100% agree yes. with that. Yes. I really enjoyed that movie, but the ending really threw me off for a loop. I think it's a right. film with a really good first act, an okay second act, and a and a garbage third act. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, on a level, I'm like, oh, good. Like, Bryce at least has, like, found his shift into horror. Like, that's what he's doing right. now. But it's just, again, like, when I found these quotes. from again, it was an interview from South by Southwest. It's kind of like, oh, well, don't bite mm-hmm. the hand that feeds you, man. <laughs> It'd be almost more interesting to to ask them these questions now, like, hey, now that you've made two of these, you're maybe planning on making a third one. How do you actually feel about it? Like, do you think that you're contributing to top tier found footage? Mm -hmm. Do you still think it's a dirty word? Do you still wish that we would call it POV instead of found footage and so on? Yeah. So yeah, I mean, basically, yeah, this film comes out at South by Southwest, um, March 8th, 2014. The rights were purchased pretty quickly by Radius uh, TWC, they were going to release it in October of that year on demand, but then, and this is what I love. It says the release fell through when Radius didn't release the film. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we bought it and we're not going to do it. Sorry. So in June 2015, so a little over a year after its premiere, um, the Orchard and Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, which is uh, Orchard's parent company, acquired distribution rights to the film. It was released on June 23rd, 2015 on Video On Demand prior to a global release on Netflix on July 14th, 2015. Um, I mean, critical praise. We're looking at a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes with an average score of 7.2 out of 10. And over on Letterboxd, it's got a 6.6 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm of the mindset that I, I do think this is a great movie. I think it's a fantastic film. Me too. Yep. I like it a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Let's. Why don't we dive in, Joe? Okay, so I'm going to sporadically reference an article, and I'm going to apologize to this person if they ever happen to hear this, because it's a personal website. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. like a WordPress blog, but I could not find the author's name or bio anywhere. So the website is called I Like Things That Look Like Mistakes. And the article title is called Wish I Were Special, Gay Panic, Masculinity, and the Queer Other in Creep and the Gift, which I'll confess are not two films I would have thought to pair together oh okay. we're talking the gift to the one with jason bateman right yes and joel edgerton yes okay cool oh and rebecca hall mm-hmm. mm. <laughs> the gift yeah. is really good y'all go watch it <laughs> it is really good and it really got buried so that's disappointing it was my first pull quote on a movie poster Oh, yeah. special. Awesome. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Jason Blum movie as well, right? Yes, but it yes. wasn't it wasn't like it wasn't like their normal output. I mean again, it wasn't like I don't even want to say it's prestige. It was kind of a cross between Blumhouse and A24, to be honest. Oh. Right. And I don't okay. think that they really knew how to market it because I remember that movie coming out and people being like, Wait, what is this movie about? Mm-hmm. It's just a creepy dude who delivers a box. Yeah. The answer is yes. So much more than that, though. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. It's a great um, movie. It is a good movie. Yeah, folks, legitimately good recommend. Go see The Gift. <laughs> okay, but, but okay. creep. <laughs> so, yeah, just to contextualize, the thesis of this article is, this is why I called it a gay panic horror mm-hmm. movie, is because this author, this individual, says... It's typically every archetypal straight man's nightmare to be lured to a place in the middle of nowhere under the impression that a deliberate job will be done, only to be shocked and appalled that the person they're meeting with threaten their masculinity and assault them or become obsessed with them. So really, the gay panic is coming from Aaron's point of view. And because we are seeing most everything in the film from Aaron's point of view, this becomes us experiencing gay panic the movie okay um, it's a lot to take in we we can unpack it as we go <laughs> no i mean i have thoughts immediately but Devin, go ahead because <laughs> i actually read the article as well joe <laughs> fantastic yeah because honestly there's only like one or two people who have written about it from this perspective yeah and i i gotta say i didn't fully agree with the author in this case um it felt a little bit of projection because neither aaron nor joseph's sexuality is ever stated no. So we're just assuming these are two straight dudes. And mm. I, I think the the uncomfortableness with seeing their intimacy and seeing Joseph's interactions with Aaron, Aaron, everyone was a little uh, put off by that, but I think it's been for the audience to react to that. And as an audience, we don't, outside of gay porn, we don't really see two men be intimate mm-hmm. in a non-threatening way. So I think that was more, I think the, the gay panic is more thrown to the audience versus the characters interesting i agree and that that is why joe initially when you said gay panic i was like i don't really because you're mm-hmm. right I, so as we always say you know art is uh, subjective as soon as it leaves the the creator you know it we as viewers fill in the blanks ourselves so right. i can see where you can get a gay panic reading if you are have experiencing gay panic watching the film yeah i don't get that from Aaron. So yeah, I don't think that the film is doing it. Maybe it was intentional. Maybe that was the point is to like make, get that reaction of the audience. That being said though, do I think there will be people that maybe are homophobic that are having a gay panic experience watching this movie? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 100%. So it's one of those things where I don't think the film is again, the as Devin said, the character is an experience in gay panic. Although Joe, in your quote where you say, Oh, a person becoming obsessed with them. Right. That is what happened in this movie. It just, as far as we know, isn't sexual. (laughs) (laughs) We'll discuss it. (laughs) Let's say there's at least an intimacy to the obsession because I can't imagine a lot of people taking the steps to cut someone else's hair while they're sleeping. By the way, Trace, I need friend. I cut your hair? Oh. Um... Wait, what what are you referencing? Oh, I know what you did last summer. No, bitch, I'm referencing your story. <laughs> oh <laughs> I already blocked it out of my memory. <laughs> oh my god, I'm so scared. <laughs> it's okay. It's not like you have to walk the dogs later. I mean, I, I, honest, I think he might be a barber. I think he might be like a mobile barber. But I, or maybe it I'm could just, be a fetish thing. We maybe don't. I'm projecting. <laughs> maybe you're projecting. <laughs> Okay, so let's walk through this. (laughs) So we open and we're already on the road. So Aaron, who is played by Patrick Bryce. And by the way, I love this movie because there's two actors names that I can get wrong. And I'm probably going to get them both right. So my favorite new movie. (laughs) 
So Aaron is filming himself and he's basically describing where he's going and why. So he he's going to this anonymous location because yes, he has answered a job on Craigslist. Someone is looking for a videographer for a thousand dollars and Aaron is cash poor. So he's like, cool, I can do this. I can make a quick buck. It's a day in and out. Hmm. So he arrives at this isolated house in the woods. Uh, one of the things that I really like about the house they chose to film in is this giant staircase that they have to walk up and down because there is even just a sense of malice in the way that like, oh, if you needed to escape from here quickly, right. it looks like there's about one road in and out and you have to navigate this giant flight of stairs. <laughs> <laughs> So he tries to get in, there's no response. He tries to call this person, there is no response. So he sits in his car and waits and waits. And then suddenly somebody taps on the door and it is Joseph, played by Mark Duplass. And immediately the discomfort is there or the male intimacy or the just the weirdness yes. of meeting a stranger who is too, they're too affectionate, too forward. So, you know, Aaron gets out of the car and Joseph immediately just says, you have a really nice, kind face and insists that they hug. Yes. Okay. That was the quote I wanted to read because I was like, I, again, there is nothing technically wrong with this, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. But aren't you both immediately just put off like, what? People don't do that. Yeah. And in a way, it's almost a testimony to how disaffected we have become. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, in a pandemic, this also registers very differently where you're just like, uh, do not come within my six foot <laughs> bubble. Fuck off. <laughs> but even just the idea that you would meet someone like I've had relatives that I've barely met and you meet them and they say, oh, give me a hug or they go in for the kiss. And you think we don't know each other well enough for this. And so to do this with a perfect stranger is just to the nth degree. But I think that's also, I mean, again, I think your gay panic comes in right now, right? Because ima mm -hmm. imagine watching this with a crowd of people and, you know, it's a man telling another man, you have a really nice, kind face. It's, yeah. I can hear the snickers right now. Me too. I was literally about to say that, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And because I think... As soon as men express any level of intimacy, especially around another man, there's also going to be a bunch of people who just immediately say, oh, well, I don't care what Devin says, this person is gay, because you don't do that to other men if you're straight. Like, it's a no homo situation. And I want to make it clear, there is there is nothing wrong with this. I mean, again, a man mm -hmm. should be able to tell another man, you have a nice, kind face or whatever the fuck. But Absolutely. It's, but we have been trained... As mm -hmm. people, as men, as yes. masculine men, that that is not okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, yes, girl. <laughs> masculine. Get your mask on. Tell other, tell other men that they have kind faces. <laughs> okay, so they go into the house and Joseph continues to, I, I wrote in my notes, he overshares about his terminal brain tumor diagnosis and the fact that he has two to three months to live. So the reason he is making this video is for his unborn child who he is calling Buddy. So they have another hug and then we get a very kind of quick POV walkthrough of this house, which, uh, you know, Trace, you and I always appreciate when they establish mm -hmm. the geography of places. So we end up in the bathroom and almost immediately Joseph just strips down and gets in the tub. And this is so that he can simulate what tubby time would be like with his unborn child. But it's also 
fucking I weird. I just met you five minutes ago, and you are naked in a bath. And I okay. So again, for me, the nudity in front of another man isn't an issue. But obviously, I realize that for some viewers, that is going to be an immediate like, whoa, what the fuck? Like mm-hmm. me and nudity, I'm very much. I don't care. I'm kind of an exhibitionist. I don't mind people being nude in front of me. Like whatever. Right. This <laughs> this bathtub charade that we have going on here. <laughs> it is a charade, darling. <laughs> and, and, and the movie, honestly, the movie for me mirrors someone who is kind of abusive because it's like, okay, you have this opening where it's like, it's again, it's kind of unsettling, it's creepy with this nice, kind face. Then mm-hmm. he puts you at ease with his cancer story. And it's like, oh no, it's honestly fine. Then we get this. And it's it's kind of, again, kind of what people do when it's like, they do something that's like really fucked up or they, they, they do something bad to you and then they mm-hmm. wipe it away with like, oh my god, no, I'm so sorry. And then Oop, nope, it's going to happen again. Well, this is gaslighting. It's manipulation. It's actually, like, it's really offensive to people who have a disability because mm. it's preying on, well, you can't be mad at me because I've got a brain tumor or because I'm ill. So it also, I think, it's a it's a very shrewd strategy from Joseph because he knows that he can play on Aaron's sympathy for him and therefore get away with more. Like, the minute that he goes underwater after expressing suicidal thoughts and then uses that as a jump scare so that he can lighten the mood. I'm just like, that is a deal breaker. I'm out of this. I would have been out. It's a thousand dollars, Devin. <laughs> I'm gonna day. jump. I'm gonna jump at McDonald's or something. I, I still stand by my original statement that this film in and itself is not gay panic in the traditional sense. Right. But I'm also going to take a turn and sort of contradict that. Okay. I, okay. You're going to play both sides. I love this. Right. <laughs> because if we are coming from the angle that this film is gay panic or gay panicky, uh, then I guess you, I'm looking at it as Jay or Joseph is, um, he's gay. Mm-hmm. And Aaron is maybe ex- having his first same-sex experience. Right. And what's happening through this movie is sort of uh, metaphors, creates a lot of metaphors for that experience. So I'll continue that thought process throughout the episode. Just give you a second. <laughs> that, no, that's interesting, though, because, so I, again, like whether Joseph is queer or not, I think he is aware of what something like this will do to a man who is prone to gay panic but mm-hmm. as we'll learn as the movie goes on you know he know he'll he learns or at least maybe knew already that aaron is just a very very nice person and he has right. the best heart in the world so he keeps doing these things to instigate a gay panic and not getting a reaction and that's i guess hmm. getting him off that way <laughs> Or, or maybe he is legitimately looking for somebody that he feels like he can make a connection for. Because he actually treats Aaron quite nicely until Aaron drugs him and runs away. I mean, nevertheless, Joe's, it, it, this might as well be called, like, Creep Evan Hansen. Like, just double-featured these movies for, like, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Two very different takes on the similar character. <laughs> it's like Creep 3, Joseph comes out, he's just got, like, uh, he's got his arm in a cast. He's like, hey, I've got letters from your dead friend. <laughs> I, yeah. Except it's about how he raped his wife, his fake wife. Oh my god, can you stop saying that, please? <laughs> I, I, I honestly, honestly, I had forgotten that was a part of this movie. So when it happened, right. I mean, I, I laughed, and again, I'm not laughing at rape. I obviously am not laughing at rape, but just obviously. the way it's presented is just like, holy shit, what did I just hear? Mm-hmm. Actually, so that is a fantastic segue because whether or not we're doing the gay panic reading, I do want to return to this 
anonymous article because they make a really interesting point about the way that comedy and horror or panic is uh, used to kind of complement or accent each other. So something like this scene is really reflective. Something like the rape confession scene can be really effective in sort of alternating that. So this person writes, the tension of the film is split between two methods, the jump scare, where Joseph is inclined to randomly jump out and scare Aaron, and the let's make him uncomfortable method. And through conversation, Joseph steadily crosses boundaries, his tone of voice too ambiguous to be completely well-meaning. But there's like this sly absurdist element in the film where the awkward comedy occasionally slips in. And like, there are so many moments where you say, oh, okay, if they just didn't shoot it this way, if they didn't hold on Mark Duplass this long, I could see this as just a bit of a cringe comedy, right? Mm-hmm. Which would have no box office potential, because as we all no. know, cringe is like the mainstream's mm. least favorite thing in the world. And not a two-person, like, low-stakes cringe comedy. <laughs> like, this movie could only survive as a horror film. I'm convinced of it. Um, Financially. I, oh, yes, for sure. Because I, I would actually be curious to see what the non-horror version of this would look like. Oh, apparently there's eight to 12 other takes that yeah. we could be watching. <laughs> Duplass and Bryce, just send me all your footage and I'll cut it together with my expert video editing skills. It would well, be the, super interesting to see like different right? versions of the same story. One as a horror, one as a drama, yes. one as a comedy. This, oh, this it, is like where I make my plea, you know, physical media. We always want extras and stuff, right? And I'm yes. just like, give me 12 different cuts of this movie. I don't care if they're rough. I don't care if they're not complete. Like, wouldn't it be fascinating to be able to watch one different version of this every day for a week? Well, but that's, I mean, it's like when those people, uh, when they when they recut trailers, like, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire as a horror movie, you know? Mm -hmm. like Mary Poppins, yep. Oh, 100%. And it's so fucking cool. I mean, like, I, I know it's silly to me for me to be like, oh my God, editing is so cool. But like, editing is so cool. No. <laughs> It, it is. It makes the story. Absolutely. We talk about directors and writers way too often. I, I almost always feel like we should be talking about editors because they're the ones who are making this movie magic. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, obviously a lot of pieces go into it, but yeah, editing like can... It can make and break. Well, make or break a dramatic... Let's limit it to a single moment. Not a film, but a moment within a film. You know, if you hold mm -hmm. for a second too long, you cut a second too short, it can destroy yeah. a moment in a film. Be it comedic or scary or whatever. Mm -hmm. So, speaking of scary moments, let's <laughs> introduce the mask of the hour. So... They're going to go for a little walk or drive, and this is where we stumble upon Peach Fuzz, a wolf mask that is lying in the closet, and Joseph then proceeds to model the wolf mask with a song and dance number. Oh my god. That was so creepy. Yeah. <laughs> It, but it's infantile. It's childlike. And, yeah. and, and I think, I mean, yeah, it's because we're watching this grown ass man do this for another grown ass man. And it's just, right. it's just creepy. It, it <laughs> creep E. But okay. So, uh, yes, I'll give you the obligatory laugh. But <laughs> also, I, I feel like you stumbled on something really important. So we talked about how he's gaslighting Aaron by using his fake illness. Mm -hmm. But also the the fact that he's making this video for a child, right? So in a way, he's obviously performing for Aaron and by proxy us as the audience. But if you look at this from a more innocuous kind of safe 
perspective. He's telling a jaunty story about a relationship that he had with his father, and it could even be cute or silly. It's just that because we're looking at it through this particular lens that it comes off as like, holy shit, this grown ass man is doing a wolf dance mask thing. Well, and we're also assuming that he's telling the truth. I mean, like, we, we don't right. know how much of what Joseph says in this film is accurate. Although, based on what uh, Angela will tell mm. us later, it seems like none of it is. <laughs> none of it. <laughs> this is all fake. Yep. <laughs> okay, so they get in the car and they decide that they're going to drive to this healing body of water so that they can have an experience together. And Joseph runs away and he comes back and scares Aaron. And this is where we initiate a conversation about like, oh, you had a killer look on your face. Like you wanted to kill me. And we have that in common. So this to me was the first big red flag that this person is not just a jackass. Like right. they are actively looking for something. Well, it, it's also when he when he scares him and he's like, you know, oh, like that feeling, like that's what it feels like when you're going to die. Like whatever you're talking about, the chemicals that rush to your brain. And he's like, it's mm-hmm. incredible, isn't it? Like he's like, oh, my God, like I, I'm going to give you the ultimate experience. <laughs> yeah, he and they talk about a near death experience, which in I think there could be another cut of this where he doesn't actually kill Aaron. He just brings mm-hmm. him to that brink. Yeah. So they end up finding this heart carved into a rock. They go into the water. There's like these funny moments where we actually get to see Aaron on camera, because really, for the most part, we're only seeing him in reflection every once in a while. But mm. here we get to see him like he puts the camera down. So we get a couple of long takes or uh, edited versions where he's just trying to like, not go in the water. And then he and Joseph are putting water on each other's faces. Again, infantile, but also, you know, like, oh, I've seen that porn as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of other movies where it's like, yeah, grown men behaving like children. I mean, I mean, I, there's your obvious options like like Robin Williams in Jack or mm-hmm. Tom Hanks in Big, but right. just like immature, petulant man children. Or I guess Judd Apatow movies. Right. I was going to say anything by Todd Phillips. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. But but that's not creepy. That's awesome. That's like what men aspire to be like. But isn't um, it funny that the line is so small, right? Yes. Like, really, yeah. all you need is a couple of steps in the other direction, and this becomes a Judd Apatow film. Mm-hmm. Or worse, a Todd Phillips film. No, I know some people <laughs> like him. I'm not I'm not going to pretend that I don't like comedies or lowbrow comedies, but just, yeah. I could do with fewer man children in films. That's no, I favorite. know. Which, I mean, I've only seen the first Hangover movie, um, but yeah, th- th- there's a genre of film with that, that like just with this certain group of actors. Which, and for a mm-hmm. while, I was very anti Jason Sudeikis as well because I was like, oh, he's just like one of them. But then I saw Where the Millers, and I was fine. But <laughs> it, <laughs> it, it's it's very much yeah, but it, yeah. I mean, that that's cool. This is not okay. So here's the thing. What happens if we replace Mark Duplass with Adam Sandler in this movie? <laughs> okay. I think we'll have something similar. I'm going to make a bold and controversial statement mm-hmm. that might get me removed from tonight's episode. Okay. <laughs> okay we have the eject button ready. <laughs> I think Adam Sandler might be one of the greatest actors of our generation. You know, okay. I, I no, I don't think that's, that's like controversial to say because, and I, here's the thing. I, I actually genuinely like Adam Sandler as a person. At least everything I've seen him on interviews, people talk about him. I mean, it just he just seems like a really nice guy. Does he put out a lot of shitty comedies? Yes. Has he put out comedies that I fucking love? Yes. 
Also true. He also is a really good dramatic actor. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I I can't remember where we had this conversation, Trace. I think it was maybe on our Child's Play 2 audio commentary on Patreon. But yeah, we Mm -hmm. talked about Adam Sandler and also Jim Carrey as like comedic actors who are very gifted, but they also can really fucking kill it in a dramatic role. And Jim Carrey is another one where I'm like, yeah, I mean, I certainly don't love all of his movies, but um. I feel like as a person, he always just comes across very nice in interviews and stuff. Like, he never seems like, you know, a petulant man-child. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though, you know, you look at something like Liar Liar, and it's not that far off. <laughs> <laughs> I love Liar Liar. <laughs> it's funny shit, yeah. Uh, okay, so after we do this water sports, that was for both of you. Uh, okay, so after we, we do this. that, <laughs> You know what? I gave you a laugh earlier. It's oh, 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 water is Terrible. Okay, we're moving on. All right. I hate you, though. So we go to get some pancakes, and this is where we get uh, a little, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to film you as you tell me a shameful story, and then we will swap the camera, and I will do that. So Aaron takes the bait, and he actually really opens up and tells this kind of mortifying story about how his mother elected like alarmed him for when he peed his pants as a child. But he would keep wearing it when he was like out in public. Yeah, I didn't get that. I didn't get that either. So this felt like a shame and blame kind of deal where it's like, well, yeah, you're going to wear this out of the house because if it happens to you in public, it's going to be so mortifying that you will never pee your pants again. And it's like, well, A, that's not how this works. This is not a Pavlovian pee story. Sorry. (laughs) We also do get our first instance of, like, Joseph, like, revealed to be lying when he, when he, he doesn't Mm -hmm. know if the pancakes are good, despite the fact that he claimed he used to come here with his dad all the time. Oh, that, that's the instance of lying that you're going with? Not the fact that he then says... (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, okay, but he, he openly admits to lying next. Like, this for, this this one is a cover-up where it's like, oh, he mm-hmm. slipped. He slipped in this moment. Oh, I, I, have a question. Okay. I have a question for you guys. At mm-hmm. this point in the story, why is Aaron still there? Because there are so many red flags. Do you think he's there because he is, a, is still a starving artist? Or mm-hmm. it's because he's becoming... I don't want... Is someone infatuated with Joseph? Or is Joseph being super charismatic that... Uh, he's being eccentric um but again i I think it really goes back to that thing where it's like there are red flags here but nothing that's like a siren alarm going off and so i think he he's just a naturally good person who wants to see the best in people so maybe he's like oh that's kind of weird also he clearly is has maybe some social awkwardness um again we can dip into like psychological reasons for that but i think he's just like nothing here has been like oh this is murderous Right. I definitely can see the argument that Joseph is captivating in an eccentric fashion and you kind of want to see, all right, well, where is this dude going to take this next? Like, I think also at this point, Aaron spent half the day. So even if he didn't need the money, he's invested at least part of his time. He probably just wants to see it through. I definitely do take him at his word when he says later, like, you know, I was in this for the money. He needs this thousand dollars. And so I'm going to bring in one other person. This will be the only (laughs) reference to this individual, but uh, Caitlin Benson Allot 
wrote an article called They're Coming to Get You or Making America Anxious Again. It's in Film Quarterly. And Caitlin's quote is, Many horror movies turn on the terrible things people will do for cash, but Creep and Creep 2 stand out because their simple setup showcase the exploitation intrinsic to short-term labor markets, which provide no safety nets for their so-called independent contractors. So for viewers who know that Bryce and then the Bryce counterpart in the second film, uh, Ak Havan, that's the actress from Creep 2. Mm-hmm. They're both independent filmmakers in real life. So it's actually like mirroring their real life context that they appear in these movies as starving artists. And I think that's actually really interesting, but it's very much, I think, a condemnation of the economy that we've set up where it's like, oh, you want to be an artist? Well, you got to do a shit gig for a thousand dollars that could get you killed. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. That's well, fair. having if that is since that's the case, I'm happy that the um, Patrick Rice character is a filmmaker and not a sex worker, because mm. this would have went into a, 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 like an exploitive territory that we've seen a million times yeah. over. Although, um, if he was a male sex worker, right, I was I, I was about to say that too. Oh. Like if this oh, had yeah. been a female, and I do think that's actually one of the reasons that Creep stands out from the pack for me is that if. If Aaron was a woman, I would legitimately be like, oh, this is exploitation. It's gross. I've seen it a million right. times. But because mm-hmm. it's a man, I feel like, oh, it's actually kind of fresh, which is shocking to say for a film made in 2014. Well, I mean, and I mean, we're not talking about Creep 2 tonight, but Creep 2 flips the gender flips it. It's basically a similar concept, but with a woman instead of a man. Uh Kind of. And I I feel like we can have a more fulsome conversation about Creep 2 maybe at the end of the episode or obviously at a later date. But I think that film does something completely different while also looking like it's doing the same thing. Yeah. That makes sense. That's fair. So at this point, Aaron is like, okay, I've caught you in this lie. It's fine. Basically, Joseph has revealed that he was filming him the whole time that Aaron was waiting in the car. Like, he was right there. And he was trying to get to know him before he felt judged when Aaron met him. Which is an interesting way to put it. Well... And again, like I mean, like Devin, like you're saying, this is a red flag. This is like a dude. What the fuck are you doing? But then he says this thing, and it's like, well, that that wouldn't be my line of thinking. But I guess I can see how this person. I mean, again, I am like rationalizing this for yes. this villainous character. <laughs> you were trying so hard, yeah. <laughs> but but here's the thing too, and I, I don't know how y'all are. I, I'm actually a person. I really don't like confrontation. I don't like awkward no. situations. I mean, no one likes talking about. It. I don't like confrontation. So I will go out of my way to make excuses for someone else, so I don't have to have a confrontation with them where I'm calling them out. Because mm-hmm. again, what if I'm wrong? What if I call Joseph out for this shit, and then he's like, proves has all this proof of stuff where he's fine. Right. I, I would be mortified. <laughs> yeah, I get. It. Yeah, because there. I mean, there were red flags from like. The very beginning from the jump, that, yeah, right. I would, I personally would have been out of there, but I get <laughs> <laughs> like, why am I filming your, your life story for your child and your wife's not here? What's up with mm. that dude? She should be here. That would have been like the very first thing. Yeah, but, so yeah, you're not even making it in the house. You're right. out the door like two minutes in. <laughs> like, where and is your like, wife? And I'm sorry, where is your wife? Mm, not seeing her around that corner. No, I'm going to leave. Sorry, bye. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> and then like he like slammed on the guy's car to scare him. I'm out. So. Uh, but see, that, oh, that's something guys do with each other. It's like fucking like hazing. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm still out. Oh yeah, no. I mean, like, 
I'm not a fan of pranks or hazing, period. So yeah, no, I'd be like, dude, don't fucking do that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just so fascinating, right? Because I think everybody's going to have a slightly different reaction to like, how much of this would you agree to go along with before you pulled that parachute cord and got the fuck out of here? So I love that, Devin, you're like, oh, I wouldn't have even made it inside the house. And meanwhile, Trace is like, well... <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 that, but that actually is kind of what I think about the brilliance of this movie. And again, like we're going back into, yeah, we, we are, I'm sorry, in the POV of, of our lead character. It's like, yeah, like, we are literally like, as us, like Aaron is a character in this movie, but he's basically just a shell for mm-hmm. us. So I love that this... <sighs> This movie hinges upon something that honestly is kind of relatable. I mean, how many, I'm sure we've all met like an awkward person in our lives mm-hmm. and just kind of testing our limits of like, what is our threshold with like, what, how weird is too weird? Yeah, absolutely. So Aaron does end up forgiving Joseph for all of this <laughs> and they go back to the house. At this point, it is night. I think one of the creepiest shots is also the movie poster. If you're watching this on Netflix, it's Mark Duplass kind of backlit so that you can't see virtually any of his face. He's just like shrouded in darkness at the top of the stairs. Yeah. So Aaron ends up coming back inside for a drink. It's kind of like the end of the day, you've earned the money. Let's just have this final drink. And this is really where Joseph starts to get a little bit more affectionate. So he's talking fondly about how great their day was and how they're friends. Like he's very liberally dropping these uh, kind of boundary breaking words. And this is when Aaron then says that uh, he was just motivated by the money. So he gets up to leave. And he realizes that he can't find his keys. But Joseph is already like, well, okay, let me tell you one final thing. And I think this is another very creative way of using found footage is uh, Aaron does not turn off the camera, but he does put the lens cap on. And then we get just the audio. So we don't have to watch Mark Duplass do the rate fantasy peach fuzz story, but we do have to hear it. And that's all we get to do like we just have to sit with this for like two minutes yeah this is uh, a lot this is a lot of of stuff packed into like what two minutes of screen time maybe and i say Mm -hmm. screen time it's audio time yeah it's dark um i mean this is also coming out after he'd like just he had just like kind of assuaged him like promised him more money again Mm -hmm. and gave him this like almost like a biblical anecdote where he's like, if you had, uh, if you were hungry, uh, sorry, if I was hungry and you had an excess of food, wouldn't you give me food? Like it's these things that it's like, again, Joe gaslighting where it's like, mm-hmm. Aaron is so uncomfortable and he says something that honestly, it isn't unusual, but it's still like something isn't right here. But then it's immediately followed by, yeah, this, this rape thing. I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you want to say about this? I was going to ask something that I don't think really matters, but do you think she knew it was him? The way he says it makes it sound like she didn't. And again, like, I mean, whether it's real or not, in this version of the story, he is telling us. He's like, I I broke, I snuck into the back window, and I tied my wife up. At this point, she woke up, which I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. I am a heavy sleeper, but if someone starts to tie me up, I feel like I'll wake up. I don't know. (laughs) I have to test that theory. But... 
but uh, yeah, it's like, and yeah, then he just says, and then we had vigorous animal sex. At no point does he say she realized it was me. Well, then he says he, because he had supposedly left for the weekend, and then he comes back and she didn't say anything. So I think we're meant to assume that the wife believes that someone snuck in, raped her, she enjoyed it, which is. Ah. And and then yeah, because yeah, the whole reason he did this again, hypothetically, is because the internet was slowing down because of her constant searching for animal porn. So yes. after he rapes her, the, the 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 speed goes back to the internet, so he goes back to normal. So yeah, no, you're right because she's been satisfied. Yes, yes, correct. So he just has to keep raping his wife to get the internet back to speed. <laughs> So this is, I think, another opportunity for Joseph to do boundary pushing taboo level things. Like, I think this is him testing the limits of what he can get away with with Aaron. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. not only do I think this entire story is fabricated, which just honestly makes it more disgusting because you're putting in both like... Yeah, like you're you're putting in sex with animals, which is still like pretty high up there on the universal taboo list. And then also rape, which is like nobody's favorite subject. Um, It's also like a rape, a bestiality rape fantasy of his wife's and wife Mm -hmm. quote. Yeah. So, yeah. Bestiality is also up there. (laughs) Trace, I just said that. (laughs) No, I thought you said, oh, no, no, oh, no, I thought you meant animal porn, like animal porn was was up there. That's what I thought you were. I, 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 I literally, I was. I swear, I was listening. I literally thought you were talking about the animal porn. <laughs> animal porn is bestiality. Oh, I, I get. I assume bestiality is like a human with an animal. Oh wait, so you think she's searching for animals fucking other animals? Oh yeah, that's how I took it. But now I'm realizing that I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could be right. She could just be watching like videos of animals having oh sex. Oh I guess I never thought of it that way. No, I, I literally <laughs> thought she was watching animals have sex, and now I now I get it. <laughs> oh, Teresa's like, I don't understand. Why is she clogging up the bandwidth? She could just be watching like Animal Planet. <laughs> no, but she's actually on the dark web looking at bestiality. <laughs> Okay, yes. that makes way more sense. Um, oh I apologize. I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> no, absolutely don't cut that out. That was a journey. <laughs> this very much falls in line with your like, oh, I would trust this guy. I would I give know. him another chance. It's like, no, she's not looking at people having sex with animals. Come on, guys. I Okay, so full disclosure, I am a very gullible human being. I will actually believe a lot of things people tell me. So I probably would die in this situation very quickly. <laughs> I don't know. I was literally about to ask you that, Trace. Like, are you a generally like very trusting person? Yeah, yeah, kind of. Yeah. But and this is I know it's bad, but it's also because I like the attention. So it's like I'm sacrificing it for like the attention someone's giving me. Oh my God, you're just opening yourself up on the public podcast. I know, now. I know. I'm, 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 <laughs> don't do this to me, <laughs> listeners. Please don't do this. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Are you are you pretty trusting? And I am not. No, no. People really okay. have to earn my trust. Which is funny though, because I feel like online has change that to a certain degree like when i meet people in person i'm often quite reserved and a little bit guarded but if people like message me or reach out and they seem like they're friendly and they're not being assholes i'm actually very inclined to give them the time of day but that's the anonymity though i mean like even though you're not being anonymous there's still an element of anonymity there because you're not face to face with this person Exactly. So I can break off contact a minute that I get the red flag. So I can Devin it out of there if I need to. 
<laughs> I think I I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I I am a fairly trusting person, but I I think I recognize even though I recognize a lot of red flags that may not mm-hmm. do anything about it. Yeah, you're you're flagging them, but you're not like okay, this like, yeah, yeah. Like if I can take this person out, I may put up with more stuff. But if this person is bigger than me and I can't defend myself, yeah, yeah. I'm out of there. But but okay, okay. All of this being said, though, like I'm also really bad about like cutting people out of my life if they fuck up once. Like I can forgive, but it takes a lot for me to forgive. And so like typically, like if someone mm. like really fucks me over, I'm like, oh no. Like, but it's also it goes back to the whole I don't want to have the awkward conversation, so I mm-hmm. avoid the conversation to have with like this awkwardness of like oh yeah i fucked up blah 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 blah, to and just like kick them out of my life because it's easier to do that than like have this conversation and that's something that i'm in therapy for okay (laughs) i I think i've gotten a little bit better at that because i've actually have cut people out of my life Mm -hmm. without without telling them why they're cut out and i have a lot of regret for that i mean they they should have been cut out they were very much in the wrong but i should have at least (laughs) gave them warning or say this is why i'm not you know Oh, see, I don't know. How much do we owe people when they burn us? Yeah, like oh. one of my friends was, we were good friends for years. And this is, okay, this is maybe, this is when Bush was run, running for re-election. So it's like Ooh, in that Politics, era. here we go. Yeah, and she's um, conservative. And right. we were at the bar and she started saying some like super racist things to me, like out of the blue. And she met my partner, and she's like, I'm so glad he's not, like, really flaming it or anything. Uh, what the fuck? So I have not spoken to her since. Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, Honestly, Devin, well, you just yeah. listed, like, three different red flags. <laughs> but, okay, but, but, but but that to me is, I mean, I, 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 we're into politics here, but that's like, okay, like, you're not going to say anything to change this woman's mind, but it's like, right, if a right. friend of mine did something to personally, I mean, again, it, that doesn't sound like really a close friend of yours, like a friend like really just i don't know like if it was a friend i I i would give them the reason but if it's like a a neighbor or a random person online and i'm like i'm gonna block you like yeah i don't need to give them anything but if it's a friend i might be like well i don't know whatever i don't know what i'm saying forget it i've grown since then (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm glad that we're using this opportunity to kind of like work out our issues as well, because again, like I think the film invites this kind of dialogue because it really makes us question, well, how much of this would I put up with? But also, am I lying to myself? Like, do I actually walk this talk in real life? And yeah, like the answer is, is I would absolutely die in this situation as well, because I, I would try to trust joseph as long as i could i I, i'm in the same boat probably but i don't know so at this point aaron kind of gives up like i think the the rape bestiality fantasy thing is a step way too far so he ultimately drugs joseph's whiskey and then joseph passes out there's an uncomfortable moment where joseph starts to masturbate while he talks about peach fuzz and Mm. because when aaron ends up coming back out after the phone call with Angela and Joseph is gone, do we think that he faked passing out? Oh, 100%. Because okay. and he knows he drugged his drink 
Oh, is that why Joseph does that, like, turn to face the camera? Like, hmm, I think I know what he's doing behind me right now. That's, yeah, I, I, I'm i 90% sure that that's okay. what's going on. But, uh, and uh, again, like, I mean, you know, we can talk about, we talk about the threshold of, okay, like, when would you have left this, this, this place? We're still on day one here, mm-hmm. and... We're 42 minutes into the movie when he's like, nope, I'm out. So I, right. it, it, I don't think it it's requires that much suspension of disbelief to believe that he would have stuck around this long. Sure. So, yes, this is this is when we then get the phone call with Angela and it's revealed that she is not his wife. She is actually his sister. And she also it's like a horror movie trope. You know, she doesn't just say, hi, he's super fucking dangerous. He's going to try to murder you. She just says, oh, you need to leave immediately on foot even would be a yeah, good way like to go. Just get out. <laughs> just get the fuck out. Yeah. Um, a fun fact, though, this uh, the actress pl- voicing Angela is Katie Azelton, who is none other than Mark Duplass's actual wife in real life. And she's also in a bunch of mumblecore stuff. And she's in, right. you know, the casual. I-, I-, I love, love, love Katie Azelton so much. I just wish she was actually in this movie. There you go. Wouldn't it be funny if she turns up in Creep 3? Oh my god, I would oh, wow. be so happy. <laughs> I would be so happy. Um, I mean, again, we all look, she's, she's one of those ones that's just in a bunch of stuff, but she's rarely, if ever, the lead role. But but um, but um, yeah, uh, she does not say anything. She does not tell him what's going on. She just like, get out. Like, And yeah. then, of course, the phone dies. <laughs> yeah, the phone dies. Joseph has disappeared, so Aaron looks around the house. He ends up finally finding him out on the balcony in the dark and uh this is basically where joseph says death is coming and you're just like oh my god dude just (laughs) take it down a couple notches i think this is when aaron realizes he's really in a lot of trouble like he has asked angela should i be worried for my own safety and this is when he starts to talk like almost therapize Joseph. So, you know, he mm-hmm. says, Oh, I know you're a troubled man. That's okay. And then he's like, yeah, I got to go. So Joseph bails, just absolutely takes off. And then when Aaron finds him, he is guarding the front door, wearing the peach fuzz mask and gyrating against the door. This is terrifying. It is absolutely. very creepy. I mean, because before he starts gyrating, you know, because he's like, what he's like, are you trying to scare me? And he doesn't speak. He's just mm-hmm. nods with this fucking peach fuzz mask. Then yep. he starts growling. Yeah. And I, oh, it goes on for less than a minute. And it is the longest minute of this movie. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's gifts of this, and even out of context, there's something kind of funny, because you can tell it's an adult man wearing a wolf mask, but there's also something extremely unnerving and unsettling about it. And I think there's there's just so much power to this image. It's... ah. There, there's so, even knowing who's behind the mask, to me, made it even more creepy, because Mark Duplass is not... He's a good-looking guy, and and throughout the film, he's had a fairly innocent guy next door disposition mm-hmm. but knowing that inside that mask is he he has the intent to harm you yeah it just it really creeps me out well and it really is that phone call with angelo too and i mean i, I there's nothing left to say about the phone call i just i do think that the phone call is like it's a scary scene because you're just like oh my god get the fuck out get the fuck out get the fuck mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah it, it comes at the exact right moment in the film where there's nothing left that they can really do to play out the tension or the weirdness right. between aaron and joseph so then to have the confirmation okay yes you are in danger we can then move this firmly into a horror thriller situation like he needs to now leave 
And I think too, I mean, because again, there's about what thirty minutes of this movie left because it's not very mm-hmm. long. It's it's a smart thing too that he we let him escape here, like. Yeah. You know, he runs into Peach Fuzz, we get we cut to black, and then it kind of like tries to trick us where we see yeah. we see Joseph, yeah, like bringing back trash bags up a hill and digging a hole, but then of course, yeah, it's revealed, oh, this is a tape he recorded that he sent to Aaron after mm-hmm. he escaped. And so yeah. I don't know. I think this is a fun play on like, like a fun subversion of these kind of horror tropes. And I I don't know. I think it's um th- that's where the even though these men don't seem to have respect for the genre, I think that helped them in crafting this narrative. I, yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, getting someone who's outside of a particular genre to like David Gordon Green directing the Halloween films, he's a comedy guy. I mm-hmm. thought it worked for me. I thought Halloween Alley kills. <laughs> Devin, <laughs> we will fight about this offline later. <laughs> I uh, I like the Halloween, uh, the new ones, the the David Gordon Green timeline. But oh, him coming go. from the world of <laughs> Star Trace, but coming <laughs> from the world of comedy, <laughs> I thought it it gave. Um, I, I don't think that he. I think he just gave a different take on it. <laughs> now yes. I'm a fluster. No, 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 no. <laughs> you were no, allowed to like the Halloween movies. No, we, neither one of us are opposed to comedians doing horror because we always no. talk about it. again. I, I mean, I think we say it every week. Like horror and comedy are so intrinsically linked in terms mm-hmm. of everything. That that really good academic. They're linked in terms of everything. Um, but yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very complementary. <laughs> I. Yeah, and I think even within the world of this film, right? Like Tracy said, this is an opportunity for them to try to trick us. But it's also a moment of slight comedy, right? Like, oh, it's a gotcha moment for the audience because we think that we're seeing Aaron's body being lugged up a hill. And then we get to have a bit of a chuckle or a laugh when we realize, no, he's safe. He's actually just watching this on the TV. And I think it's actually a really smart, like, filmmaking decision because it divides the film into two halves, right? So we built up the tension as far as we can go. If we're not going to kill him, then we need to let that tension kind of dissipate and we'll build it back up again. Although I will say, I've seen a number of folks say that they think the film is most successful up to this point. And then it kind of loses some of its energy and it doesn't really get it back. I disagree vehemently, if only because... I think this last 30 minutes is scary because it's a stalker. Like it is a person yeah. he he knows where he lives. Mm-hmm. I, and I have talked about my brief experiences with a stalker on this podcast, but it is not fun. Nope. Um, and maybe it's because I've lived that, that I'm like watching this, like, Oh my, I'm so fucking stressed out. Like to me, this, yeah, the tension doesn't let up for the rest of the film. Even once, once we leave the cabin. Okay. Devin, how do you feel about the back half? I enjoy the back half. It's it's not as effective for me as the first part of the film, but I think it still continues the same adrenaline and the same tension, just in a different way. Yeah. The very end, I think, wraps it all up perfectly for me. I oh, mean, yeah. That is yeah. fucking terrifying. Just as terrifying as a peach fuzz dance. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit more on Devin's side with this. I think this mm-hmm. is a different version. It doesn't quite work for me because I think it relies on some kind of dumb decisions by Aaron and some like overly playful or 
two assertive moments on Joseph's behalf. And I'm thinking mostly of the scene where he's literally standing in the screen door as Aaron is searching the house and then he ducks out of sight. And it's kind of funny, but also a little dumb. But that final scene is, yeah, it's a fucking banger. Okay. I mean, well, before we get to the final scene, I mean, even the scene (laughs) where... Where where Aaron calls the cops and they don't take it seriously. I honestly mm, think too. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, we're talking about oh, what if this were a woman instead, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, stalkers and stuff. It's something that's really hard for police to do anything about unless the stalker actually does something violent against you. So yes. you're living in this constant state of oh my god, like is something going? Is this person going to do something? What is it going to take for the police to actually listen to me? Like you know, you can mm-hmm. file a report or whatever, but they can't fucking do anything. And so. Yeah. I, I honestly liked watching his conversation with the phone call because he was like, y'all aren't fucking helping me. And not that I want to tie this film into like, I don't know, like gendered crimes and stuff like that. But like, I'm mm-hmm. sure it's something a lot of women feel when they are, I don't know, assaulted or something. And that they, they can't do anything against their assaulter because it's their word against their assaulters. Oh, absolutely. And I, I don't think you're making too much of a stretch of it because Aaron literally uses the words domestic violence when he's describing this to the police when he makes that phone mm-hmm. call. So unfortunately, I think we still live in a society when we say domestic violence, we often think violence against women from often right. their male partners. But it's very deliberately coded language that I think Duplass and Bryce are knowingly using. And I like this inversion, right? Um, well, like is a strong word. I don't know that I like the idea of anyone being stalked, but it has a confronting novelty to it to see a man be put in this position and from yep. another man as well, right? Because normally we see this as a swim fan or a fatal attraction where it's a man yes. who wronged a woman and she's the one stalking him now. Oh, maybe that's why they referenced fatal attraction when they were saying, oh, of the two-handers that inspired us, even though mm-hmm. it's not really it's a definitely not a two-hander, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. um. So what do you guys think of the nighttime dreams that Aaron has? Because I think that this could lend itself to you, us to your queer reading, Devin, where it's almost like Aaron having his first homosexual encounter because he he relates the weird dream where he was drinking wine with Joseph in the heart rock hot tub and they were both wearing peach fuzz masks, but Aaron is a child and the water is bloody. Yeah, I mean, if you look at this from using the, the entire sequence of events as a metaphor for Aaron's first I'm assuming first gay experience, mm-hmm. you know, you can look at his interaction with Peach Fuzz, uh, the, the, when Peach Fuzz comes after him as his first time having sex with another man. Right. And mm. that separation when he goes back to his house and he's being stalked is sort of like he's, he's trying to reconcile the events that happened. How, what does this mean for him? And now his entire life is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and Joseph could be the, uh, I don't know what Joseph is in this scenario because I don't think he is in if we're using the context of of these two guys having a, a same sex encounter I don't think that Joseph is in love with Aaron mm-hmm. but I no. think in this but Joseph Joseph has done this before and so he knows what buttons to push and he knows right. how to get his uh, Aaron's blood pumping uh, no pun intended Ooh no I think you did mean that pun <laughs> <laughs> The funny thing is, is I don't think that this is that much of a reach. Like I can tell there's probably a couple of people out there like rolling their eyes at us. But the reality is, is 
the peach fuzz mask is more than just a threatening thing that we can build a scare around, right? Like, because when we get the second box that has the knife and the plush wolf and then the tape, Joseph literally has this monologue about wolves. So he says, I love wolves because they love deeply, but they don't know how to express it. And they're often very violent and quite frankly, murder the things that they love. And inside of the wolf is this beautiful heart. So like, yes, that could just be obsession. But I, I think it's not too much of a stretch to say, oh, we're talking about sex between men transposed onto wolves. And I think it was a very deliberate decision to hide the locket up the wolf's butt. So Aaron has to fist this plush wolf to get the locket out, which has a yeah. symbol of their affection for each other. <sighs> yeah. I'm there. Yeah. yeah. And then when Aaron opens up the box and he receives the knife and the the DVD, he immediately throws the DVD away. It's almost as if he's trying to forget that he actually, mm-hmm. you know. I don't want the reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yes, we can read it that way. Um, or we could just read it as a conventional stalker film. So uh, that night, Joseph is seen standing outside of Aaron's door. I. It's funny because I think you mentioned earlier, Devin, did you mention Behind the Mask, Leslie Vernon? Or did I just imagine that? I did not, but let's I just say it. I did. Because I was so <laughs> intelligent. <laughs> Like, does it, but does this, does this give you Leslie Vernon vibes, like killer in training? <laughs> a little bit, right? Because it it's like that film is a mockumentary in some regards, but then it switches at around the halfway point and becomes a found footage horror film right. as the camera crew then becomes the victims, right? So yeah. I, I do think that there's parallels and there's a, a charming creepiness to both of the antagonists. So I could very easily see... Uh, <laughs> I could see Joseph and Leslie Vernon going to the same convention and having conversations like, so how did your weekend go when you were catfishing that dude? Oh, mine was great. How did yours go when you were catfishing that documentary crew? Good, good. Okay. I want to see that matchup. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I still want a Leslie Vernon sequel, and I'm really pissed that we've never gotten one. I mean, they've they've tried. They can't get the funding for it. Uh, Which Uh, I don't understand. (laughs) Yeah. They should do like a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter. I yeah, they they've done conventions like they're they're one of those groups that they're always at horror conventions and mm. I feel like they, people always ask them and they're just like we just can't yeah get it but you're right I mean yeah who knows maybe a Kickstarter would help maybe they've even tried <laughs> I bet you they probably have mm. so Joseph ends up cutting a lock of Aaron's hair well. I don't think I would have gone back to bed if I was Aaron. I maybe would have gone to a hotel or stayed with somebody. (laughs) It's well, okay. No. So I I thought that too. I was like, why doesn't he go stay with a friend or something? But I also don't believe this man has any friends. Oh, okay. So, I mean, again, if we're going this whole idea that where Duplass and, and Bryce like, Oh yeah, which one's the creep? Yeah. Aaron may be presenting more socially acceptable behaviors, but he also might have a lot of social issues where he, because he doesn't have a social life. Right. Do they ever see how much time passed? From when he left the cabin to when the stalking started? Two weeks, I think? Yeah, it's a I short think. period of time, but it's not like a day or anything. Yeah. Okay. I want to I say, I want to say he says, like, everything was fine for two weeks, and then I get this in the mail. If not, it's less than two weeks, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a brief period of time. Um, but yeah, he, I know what you did last summer, as I already ruined that joke earlier, but he, I know what you did last summer, is his hair. <laughs> <laughs> 
Aaron still looks fashionable, so it's okay. He's going to go and be the croaker queen. There we go. Yeah. I'm done. I, I, I'm, I'm done digging that hole with this joke. Are you done? Are you done? <laughs> Here, let, let me give you a let me give you a pity laugh. <laughs> <laughs> so it's Sarah. He's, he's Sarah Michelle Geller in the scenario. By the way, there we go. Okay, got it. <laughs> let me explain thank, it more. Thank for you for you. explaining it. I didn't get it the first two times. <laughs> oh, the joke that keeps on giving. Oh my god. <laughs> All right, so Aaron finds a disc that is labeled My Last Video, and this has been shoved through a sc- the screen in his bedroom that has been slid open, which to me is like, mm. dude, just no. Just, <laughs> like, absolutely not. Uh, but when he watches the tape, this is when Joseph appears more real and authentic than ever before. So he acknowledges that their friendship wasn't real, he says that he's tried medication, that he's burned all of the bridges with all of the people in his life, and that he would love to explain himself in person at Lake Gregory the next day. So this is basically him, you know, making one last ditch effort to say, Aaron, I'm sorry, let's try to work this out. All right. Mm-hmm. Final question. Bonus round. Double Jeopardy. Um, okay. Do you go in person to meet this psycho? Would you go? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. No. <laughs> Devin's like, no, I wouldn't have been here for 90% of this movie. <laughs> no. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're in my house. You know, fuck <laughs> that. I'm calling the cops. I mean, that is the thing, right? Like, if this m- just lands in your mailbox and it seems authentic and real, then maybe. But this was literally shoved through your window next to your head while you slept. It's a no. No. And Trace like, is like, more... oh, it's a yes for me. <laughs> no, uh, I mean, yeah, I do think the breaking in, because, I mean, that's like, he know. well, he doesn't know he's broken in. He knows that he's cut a hole in his window screen and slipped in a DVD. He doesn't know he's actually been inside the house yet. Right. Well, he'll never find out. He'll never find out. <laughs> I, well, okay, here's the thing. I probably would go, but it would not be to reconcile. It would be to be like, dude, you need to back the fuck off. I'm sorry. Like, I empathize with your mental health issues. I think clearly there is something wrong with you. Um, it is not my responsibility to fix you. And I, mm-hmm. you have ruined any kind of connection we could have had by being a fucking weirdo. So, right. I, and he is smart by going to a public place, although seemingly not that public, because he no. just murders him in the open. <laughs> Very true. Like, n- nobody screamed. Nobody ran. No. I mean, it looks cold. They're both wearing jackets, so maybe it's a period of time when most people wouldn't frequent this lake. But it's interesting, Trace. So I was going to try to gently push back when you said, oh, well, maybe Aaron is the one who has sociability issues because he Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to have any friends. And I was like, well, there's no reading in the text that supports that. (laughs) But there's no reading that doesn't support that. Well, here's the thing, because my my rationale is, okay, even if I did go to hear this explanation from this person who is stalking me, I would bring a friend. And Aaron doesn't bring a friend. He just sets Mm. up the camera. So part of me is like, "Mm, maybe he doesn't have a friend to bring. Well, and you know what? It's funny, though, because if we're saying, oh, maybe Bryce is modeling this character after himself, because, yeah, it's like the starving artist thing, like all these people trying to get films made from pennies. But Mm -hmm. it's like, also, 
all of these people in real life are friends because they all put each other in their movies. <laughs> oh, sure. Oh, yeah. This this is nepotism, the yeah. gaslighting gay panic horror movie. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, when the axe hits his head, you, there is a sound of a thunk. And mm-hmm. it is... I mean, I think I wince every fucking time. Me too. I just love the almost Looney Tunes nature of the way yeah. that Joseph, you know... I walk up, I put on the mask, I bring out the axe, and then I, like, he might as well be creeping forward on his tippy toes. But I love that Uh, there was no cut. This is a long take, and we get to see it all play out. I don't even really know how they faked this without hurting Brace. To, oh, I don't know either. I mean, like, it, but to to link it back maybe also to a queer reading, um, as maybe y'all know, and probably some listeners know, Parks are a very common place for gay hookups. Of course, yeah. So I don't know if maybe that was intentional on um, hmm. Joseph's part to be like, yeah, let's go to this public park that I guess has no people in it because gay men have sex there all the time. <laughs> He's like, let's just go to my cruising park. It's totally empty at this time of day. I would know. Like, honestly, like, I never thought about it until we started getting really into this gay shit. But like, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, maybe it's a cruising park. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that actually reminds me of a cr- actual creepy story I remember just now. It took place in the woods. Oh shit! <laughs> okay, I'll make this super quick. This is like 15 years ago. It's so, like it was me and three of my friends. Where I'm from, Michigan, mm. and so we all went to Saugatuck, Michigan, which is like a, a big gay destination. It's like a very low key version of P Town, but it's oh fun. Michigan. Okay, yeah. And so we decided to get a cabin there, and we hung out. In like the the main I don't know, rectory or whatever the main bar, mm-hmm. so the three of them at night the three of them decided to go to Burger King. I had a lot to drink, and I said I'll go back to our cabin to take a nap. <laughs> and to get to the cabin, you have to walk through like a wooded area. Okay. And I swear to goodness, had no idea that people were cruising in the woods and hooking up in the woods. I just uh. I really did not know that. You were like, I just have to go through the woods. Yeah. And so I'm just like walking through the woods and some guy like starts to cruise me. And I'm thinking, okay, whatever. I'm hot and young. So I didn't really pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) But he keeps stalking me. And I said, you know, I'm not interested right now, but thank you. But he kept following me. No. So I I diverted my my direction. I went through like another set of cabins. So he didn't know which one was mine. And he kept stalking me. And my I started um, to speed up and run, and he started to run as well. Oh, and wow. I don't know exactly where I lost him, but I made it back into my cabin, and I shut all the windows and all the blinds, and I like sat there for my friends to come and get me. Like oh. this is that, that was so creepy. The idea of being chased by somebody after you said no, yeah, is, it was. Oh. But no means yes. Didn't you know that? <laughs> In their world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I will say personal preference. Um, and I know it's not. I know people are really, really into that whole like, oh, like it's uh, the, you might get caught. It's so sexy. No, 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 no. I might get caught is no, no, no. Like my my limp deck. Like that is not public play. Is not sexy to me. I've never cared for it. If you like it, that is awesome. I will never do it with you. So you don't get off on the voyeurism angle is it or is it the catching like getting caught part that you're oh voyeurism is fine i would totally watch someone hook up in a park i would never be hooking up in a park not to say i haven't done it when i was a teenager but um i wouldn't do it now (laughs) i was gonna say we do a lot of stupid things when we're younger so yeah yeah exactly (laughs) you got you you couldn't fuck at home you gotta find somewhere to go (laughs) 
Well, we'll we'll continue this conversation when we cover Stranger by the Lake. Yes, ooh, literally ooh. just about oh. hooking up in the woods and maybe getting murdered. P.S. Though for that, I have an excellent story for Stranger by the Lake. <laughs> oh my gosh! Tease, tease, tease. Okay, <laughs> I have, cannot wait. So Aaron is now dead. And it's revealed that we're actually watching all of this once again on another TV screen. So, like, the meta readings of, like, oh, okay, what is reality and what is filtered through a videotape and that kind of stuff is very prevalent here. Well, it's also, okay, so, I mean, it's funny that we're talking about this a mere days or a week after having seen Paranormal Activity Next of Ken, which fundamentally Mm -hmm. misunderstands the concept of found footage. This movie, at least, okay, I mean, hey, the end of this movie, hey, um, he put this together because he has all the footage. So there you right. go. It is his movie we are watching. And he had access to Aaron's house, so he would have been able to gain any additional footage that he was missing. Yep, 100%. Yeah, so basically the end of the film is Joseph doing direct address, talking about how Aaron is his favorite because Aaron believed in him and was kind. And then he takes a call where he sets up another potential victim. And then he takes the Aaron tape and he puts it into a cabinet that is loaded with, I'm going to say, 30 to 50 other tapes, like-minded ones. So clearly, Joseph has done this a lot. It's creepy. It's creepy as fuck. I love it. And... Yeah, I I think this movie is great. It is very effective. It's very creepy. I will still go to bat for those last 30 minutes because I do think they are very unsettling. But as you all said, just in a different way than how the first 45 minutes are. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard when a movie kind of does that soft reboot, right? Like you've got to get into the new rhythm. Uh, And I think for some people it works and other people they're just like, oh, I missed the first part. Like that was what I was gelling with. I agree, and I guess my only thing is, like, the because I think maybe, Joe, you said this earlier, where it was like, yeah, the film has kind of run its course with this aspect of, like, them alone in the house. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, okay, I mean, even if I'm going to play the a devil's advocate with y'all and be like, yeah, the, the last 30 minutes isn't as effective, it's probably more effective than if we had gotten 30 more minutes in that house. Oh, God, yeah. No. I agree. Yeah, totally. But yeah, I, mean, I my that's my final thoughts. What are y'all's final thoughts on Creed? <laughs> Devin, go ahead. I really enjoy this movie. And, you know, I didn't know that Mark Duplass um, and Patrick Bryce were sort of um, kind of taking a shit on the phone. <laughs> 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 like, I had no idea. But I guess if you're going to talk that much shit, you should be able to back it up. And in there this case, they, they were they, able to back it up. <laughs> right. No, yeah, I agree. So, I, I mean... Okay. Uh, as far as <laughs> as far as it being gay panic, I think it just depends on which which angle you're looking at this mm-hmm. film from. Because it's, right. I don't think it, the gay panic is intentional, and I think the gay panic is more projective than, more than anything else. But it can be interpreted as sort of a, a gay metaphor. But I, don't, I again, I don't think that's even intentional either. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I I think I give this movie four or four and a half stars on Letterboxd, and I I stick by that. I actually think, I mean, you could even view this movie, for, again, not, not to make this longer, but like a, an attack on gay panic. Like, it's literally the movie saying, oh, are you uncomfortable with this on a, on a gay panic level? Well, fuck you. We're not doing that. That's your fault. You're projecting that onto this film, right? Yeah. I mean, I love the fact that we've been able to find 
two, three, maybe even four different readings of this quote-unquote very simple fan footage slash POV horror film. So I agree with you, Devin. I think even if they were not huge fans of this subgenre, they did manage to uh, create a really effective film. So in a way, okay. uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't love people shitting on other people's work like i mean i know we all sometimes do it but the reality is is that people are trying to make art and sometimes it's great and sometimes it doesn't work out but it's just one of those things where again they're they're criticizing it without clearly having seen a lot of it except for again what jason blum sent them which we don't know what that was right yeah Yeah, probably something like amityville asylum or something Uh, stupid Like something like we we all shit on, you know. Duplass, Bryce, like please. I mean, if you haven't done a found footage binge, like in the you know eight years since this film came out, uh, like let us let it let us curate a list for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and in Midiville, uh Asylum will definitely be on there. <laughs> and then Joe, any any thoughts for you, or you got you got your eyes out? No, I I agree with both of you. I wasn't sure how well this would hold up because I wasn't sure if the novelty was the mm-hmm. thing that I enjoyed the most about it. And I will say I do prefer the first half of the film, if only because there's a bit of mystery there when it moves right. into a more conventional stalker film. It's a different kind of scary, but it feels a little bit just maybe more formulaic to me, but it doesn't mean it's bad. And this is still a four out of five film for me. Um, not to put you on the spot, is there a film, because I, I'm thinking again, we just talked about the remake of Slumber Party Massacre and how that one does a lot of subversions in the first two acts, but then the last mm-hmm. act is just another quote-unquote standard slasher film. Right. Is there a film where you think that the third act has followed through with the subversion set up by the previous two acts? And let's exclude Cabot in the Woods from this conversation. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> And folks, if you want to hear our thoughts on both Slumber Party Massacre as well as Cabin in the Woods, hit the Patreon. Go to Patreon. <laughs> that was literally me being like, buy yourself time. No, you don't You don't have to. I'm not being like, well, Joe, give me one. Come on. I'm, I'm legitimately curious. Like, yeah, I mean, this is a complaint. It is a valid complaint. And we've had it with two movies this week. And so I'm just like, well, what is a movie that hasn't, like, that started out subversive and then devolved, I guess I'll say, into a standard horror film, like standard horror tropes? I don't know. Yeah, I think the what we're identifying is that it's easy to start a film that knows what Mm -hmm. it's doing and is playing with your expectations and subverting them. And it's really hard to carry that all the way through. And also that endings are really fucking hard to do. Listeners, let us know, actually. Yeah. I mean, if, if you can think of anything that fits this bill, like I, I, I'm just genuinely curious and also would mm-hmm. like to watch these things if I haven't seen them. Absolutely. Yeah. Give us your favorite subversive horror films that nail the landing. I kind of have one, I think. Okay. Ooh, go ahead. Okay. Unmasked Part 25. What? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen that? <laughs> no, haven't even heard of it. It's a British horror film from 1988-89, and it's essentially a spoof of the Friday the 13th genre. Oh. And it presents the Jason figure as a real-life person who's out looking for love. Oh, okay. But he can't find love because the world knows him as this monster, and they're profiting off his story. 
And hmm. I, I, it's it's on Tubi right now. Oh um, my god! No, yeah, and Vinegar Syndrome released a released a, a Blu-ray. So, um, oh, interesting. I've never heard of this, but honestly, no. it's going on my Tubi list. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I like. I'm gonna go ahead and just go ahead and buy it. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> love that movie. Nice. It's so wacky and so fun. But I think that would, um, I think that would that would be a film that that it's you know it's subversive and it follows through all the way to the end. I nice. Lo- thank you. Thank Yay. you, Devin. Thanks, Girl. Devin. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, okay. Well, that has been creep. Um, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Devin, where can everyone find you on social media? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at I Need You Jesse, all one word. And you can find me online at I Need You Jesse.com. Woo! Well, <laughs> if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers. Uh, join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners. Uh, you can find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. And of course, go to our YouTube channel to check out our coverage of the Chucky series that's airing on Sci-Fi. We are releasing episodes every Friday. Yes. If you want even more Horror Queers content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Um, so go subscribe now because we'll have episodes on uh, Amazon Prime's I Know What You Did Last Summer series, Sci-Fi's Summer Party Massacre remake, as we've already mentioned, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, and an audio commentary on the original 2002 Resident Evil, and an episode on Antlers. Yes. So all that's over there. <laughs> so much content. <laughs> So much content. Also, I'm just realizing Resident Evil Raccoon City comes out a week after this episode drops, and I'm so fucking excited. It's true. Joe. Yes. <laughs> what are we talking about next week? All right. So we are going to wrap up November with our final pre-1970s classic film of the year. We've been mm-hmm. having a ball covering these old Universal Monster films, as well as some other classic texts. So we're going to squeeze one final one in before the end of the year. And I, Trace, I am so excited to talk about this movie because I know you haven't seen it, but I am a huge Fucking Val Luton fan, so I am psyched to finally get to talk about one of his movies. We are going to talk about The Seventh Victim from 1943. So, not only have I not seen this movie, I have never heard of this movie. I have no idea what I'm getting into next week. <laughs> uh, classic queer text that was studio tampered with. So, folks, this is going to be a bit of an odd one. I think we're going to have a really fulsome conversation about the production of this film. Even if you don't love the movie, the production really helps to contextualize it. Got it. Well, I mean, that that's awesome. I'm really excited and slightly intimidated. But um, <laughs> uh, also, Devin, of course, thank you for joining us on tonight's episode. It's been a blast talking creep with you. Yes. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> and until next week, when we can talk about the seventh victim, uh, we can cross out creep. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Horror queers.